You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Let's get started today the way that I started and closed every day on my Israel trip. And so if you want to repeat the Shema, that we're going to do the Jesus Shema. This is something that Jesus would have said every, every morning and every evening. And this is what we did every morning and every evening. We got up and we left. We were really leaving about 7 o'clock, getting on the bus, and we had a little devotional, and we would say the Shema. And then we'd get done with our day, and we're just like, our minds are blown, and we would end with the Shema. So stand up with me just for fun. This is the only time I'll make you stand up, except when we do this every time. No. Uh, Stand up with me because we are honoring God's word and, and honoring this and say these words with me. Hear, O Israel. That's the leader's fault right there. I'm going to say it and then you're going to say it. Okay. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul. And with all of your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Thank you for joining me. Please feel free to have a seat. Can you think about as you get up and go about your day, you set the foundation of what your life looks like by saying that, that really verse out of Deuteronomy, but saying that and be like, all right, what, what am I about? What am I about? You know, we had many great teachings on this trip. There's, you're supposed to have a two-minute version of how to tell somebody your experience was in Israel, a 10-minute version, and then a 30-minute version. And I've got like a 45-sermon version of how it was, which we'll experience over time. Great teachings. Today's message is based on this question that was asked of me at the very beginning of the trip, of everybody in our trip. And I'll start out with the analogy. So there's this rabbi who's walking back from synagogue, and he's pretty excited about that, and he's walking, and he's, 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 he's saying his prayers and all those things, and he's not really paying attention to where he's going, and he's walking, and he takes the wrong turn, and he's still walking, but he's just so enveloped in the Lord like you and I are in our phones. I mean, the Lord... Um, and, and he gets to this, to this point, and this person says, Hey, who are you? And what are you doing here? And the rabbi steps back. And in good rabbinical fashion, you know how he answers that question is with a question. And he said to this Roman guard, he said, how much do they pay you a year to stand up there and ask that question? And the guard said, 300 denarii, which is a pretty good year's living. And the rabbi says, I will pay you double that to stand outside my door and ask me that every time I leave and every time I come back. Who are you? And what are you doing here? The question asked to 48 people sitting in Israel. But it's a bigger question than a location, isn't it? 
Who are you? And what are you doing here? I am not my occupation. To be able to answer that question can direct and guide your entire life. Can direct and guide every path, every step that you take if you can answer that question in light of our God. Who are you? And what are you doing here? See, God's word tells you a lot about who you are. There's just this battle of whether you're going to believe who he says you are and how he made you and the greatness he has planned for you. He's already given you everything that you need to accomplish everything that he's, uh, he's asking you to accomplish. He's a God who provides. It's just us realizing that we have it and being bold enough to take a step out and do that. Hey, by the way, happy Pentecost. Today's Pentecost. It's 50 days after Easter. Do you know what happened 50 days after Easter? I was on the Southern Steps. It was really cool. I read about it, but let me tell you about it. Not in your notes. This is bonus scripture time. All bonus. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. It's in Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Hey, look at us. Suddenly, a sound like a, uh, the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So we're not going to talk about speaking in tongues or any of that stuff today, but the Holy Spirit This is the day we celebrate that the Holy Spirit descends upon God's very people. And isn't it going to be interesting how many times as as we go through our main text today, uh, if you read this text and you go on Paul's first missionary journey, there's like, and the Holy Spirit was, and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is alive and active. It's alive and active in your life. It's God speaking to you sharing with you, caring for you, and moving you. So who are you and what are you doing here? This church exists to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. Now we overdid it two weeks ago and it reached four people at one time. We had four people get baptized. Broke our own vision. No. Uh, four people get baptized and make a public statement about their desire to follow Christ. So that's the beginning because we're not called just to make converts. We're called to make disciples. You guys have heard this before. Wait a minute. Are we doing a good job? So we help these people that get baptized and now we start walking with them. And we walk with them in how to pray and how to read God's word. And what does it look like when challenges come? And how do you handle that? And how do you put community around you? So our vision is to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. Sometimes we overdo it. And our mission is to make biblical disciples in relational environments. Biblical disciples. Students of God's word. See, when you think about missions, we're going to talk about Paul's first mission trip today a little bit. But do you realize 
that every one of us are on a mission trip? You don't have to go somewhere else to be on a mission trip. You can be on a mission trip right where you live, right where you work, right where you play. The mission is always on. The mission to see people, to have people feel seen and heard and loved and cared for. And see, a mission takes this thing called time. It takes time to care about people. My morning started off a little rougher this morning. One of my guys in my wedding, and, and she actually grew up here, uh, his, his, his mother-in-law passed away this morning at 4.15 after about 30 days in intensive care. She was a great lady. She did a great job with her mission. She heard those words, I would imagine, well done. Good and faithful servant as she entered into the Lord's arms. We're all on a mission trip. You don't have to go anywhere. It's right here. Let's catch up with Paul. We're going to spend a bunch of time in the Bible a lot more. Like, are we reading all that? Did you put the entire chapter 14 in the notes, Josh? No, I did not. Gus did. I am incapable of doing that. But we're going to go on this journey with Paul, and we're going to catch up a little bit uh, farther into his mission trip, uh, or this first mission trip. It really starts in verse 13, chapter 4, when they go to Cyprus and then Pisidian Antioch. But we're going to catch up as they enter this area called uh, Iconium. Okay? So here's a picture of current day uh, Iconium. It's actually a different name. Uh, It's, uh, I think it's uh, Konya. But it's Iconium, and this is, this is, remember when we talk about the Bible, and it isn't ever more evident when you go to Israel or Turkey, like real people, real place, real time. Like, we're not talking fantasy world here. Like, this is real, real people, real place, real time. So where are we in the geography? We're going to be in Turkey, and we're on Paul's trip as he uh, exits out. And so this is, this is Iconium. Let's, let's read the God's word together. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas son of encouragement, Paul and Barnabas, went as usual to the Jewish synagogue. That's where you go and try and, try and work with stuff as the religious people first. <laughs> That's what they did over and over ago. It's like, I got to convince these people, get them on board. They should be able to be on board. They've memorized Torah. They know God's word. So they go to the synagogue and there they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So, so, so Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord. Who are they and what are they doing here? who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. Next. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and to stone them. 
But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derby and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. Who are you and what are you doing here? Sounds like they were able to answer that question. So let's go to this map. Started off in Antioch over here. Went to these different places. So now you can see they were in uh, Iconium and they fled uh, southwest to Lystra. And so that's where they were fled because in Iconium we just read that there was division about this. And so uh, Iconium to uh, to uh, Lystra I think is like uh, it's, it's maybe like 90 miles. It's, it's a jaunt. It's a jaunt. So you can see where we are in this trip. Down here is Israel, Sea of Galilee right here. They're, they start from up there. They are working in current-day Turkey. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame, and he had been that way from birth, and he had never walked. Let's take a, a look at, at uh, current-day Lystra. Looks, looks familiar-ish, kind of. But this is, remember, real people, real place, real time, real evidence of knowing where cities are and what stuff happened. Do you know how much archaeological work they got done because you and I didn't bother people for two years with COVID over in Israel? I went to places, I was like, I've been here, but I haven't been here. Like they had nobody bothering them. They did, found all kinds of cool stuff that we're going to be hearing about that's going to be dripped out over the next four or five years and you're just going to be like, what, they found that? Yep. But real people, real place, real time. So uh, he listened to Paul as he was speaking, and Paul looked directly at him and saw that he had faith to be healed. And he called out, stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted, <clears throat> they shouted in their Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas, they called Zeus. Paul, they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostle Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes no. It's an inside joke for some people who were here for a bad worship night a while back. I will not be tearing my clothes. I got in trouble for that. They tore their clothes. Why are they tearing their clothes? Because the people are missing it. And rushed out into the crowd shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless, these worthless things to a living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let nations go their own way. In the past, he let nations go in their own way. Who are you? And what are you doing here? 
Yet he has not let himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd, crowds from sacrificing to them. On our, our trip, you get to know your teacher and uh, eventually start making fun of him, if you're me, um, and you get the group to start making fun of him. No, not making fun of him, but understanding him better. So here it is. There's 48 people. You get on and off the bus a lot, and you're not very good at it. If I ever lead an Israel trip, we will practice bus debarkation, and we will be very efficient. So... Uh, Brad would say, you know, he's got the microphone. He's like, all right, we're getting close. Everybody, this is a two-bottle hike. And you're like making sure you got your water on and you know, hiking poles hitting people in the head and stuff like that. Um, and, so, and then he would say, come, let's go, please, because he's nicer. And so you can hear this, yeah, I don't know, 120 times on the trip. Come, let's go, please. Mike goes down. And so by the end of the trip, uh, we're in the back there, the mockers, uh, a little bit. Uh, and we're in the back there, and he's like, and so we're like, come, let's go, please. And we start, like, going through those things. And so later on, we're talking about it. And, you know, Brad's a great guy. He's a great human being. He's a great teacher, but he's just a great human being. And I'm, like, and, and, you know, teasing him a little about that. And he goes, you know how I do that? Come. Let us go, please, and follow Jesus together. Come, let's go, please, and follow Jesus together. Don't follow Brad Gray. Don't follow Josh Gray. Follow Jesus, and let's go and do it together as we discover who Jesus is. I think that this is a giant, giant problem. And I know this is a giant problem, and it's not a new problem. Really, really, really gifted men and women whose intellect is off the charts, whose wisdom wows us, who have gifts of healing, who can do amazing things, as we saw with Paul's, like, get up, the guy's like, ready to go, have come and gone from this earth tens of thousands of times. Their wisdom sometimes is far beyond what I can even imagine. But sometimes they fall very long and very hard off of the pedestal that you and I might have put them on. Because like Paul says, they are only, we are only Humans, don't get stuck following a human teacher. Go with a human teacher as you guys follow Jesus together. I don't know about you, but sometimes, and this hit me as I was studying this this last week, sometimes I'm more enamored with the created than the creator. Sometimes I am more enamored with the created 
something that was created than the actual creator. And that is a very dangerous place to be. And Paul knew it. He knew it. So let's go back to the question. Who are you? And what are you doing here? Not here, not this building. Not your career path. But like in the kingdom of heaven, what are you doing here? Now, back verse 19. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. Map again. So they're in Lystra and the people that were mad at them that have been running them out of these cities come from Antioch. They come from Iconium and they come to Lystra. Do you know how mad you have to be at somebody to walk 90 miles in biblical times? It would be like you and I getting in our car right now and we're driving to Miami and I know it's only, you know, 42 hours by car because that's how we travel now. So we can, we can get that preacher guy. They are chasing, trying to stomp out God's word and his spirit in all of these places. They're trying to stomp it out. Paul was trying to stomp it out on his way to Damascus. That was an intentional stop. That was an intentional place to go because that would have spread like wildfire. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Lord, sat him down. All right. Iconium was a good 90 miles south of uh, Antioch and Lystra was about another 20 miles from Iconium. So they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. Let me explain this to you guys again. I explained it once before, but the stoning, like we think like we're throwing a rock at somebody's face or whatever the case is. There's a bunch of horrible ways that they stone people today in the Middle East still. But and the Jewish Mishnah, uh, the oral traditions of how they would stone somebody in the Bible is they would take you to a place that was two times your height. So I would get a six or 12 foot, four inch drop. Put me two feet, put me on the backboard of a basketball hoop. They probably bound your hands and they're like, the first person who had it against you was like, boom. And then you did one of these things. And if that didn't kill you, which a lot of times it would, because they'd like to push you onto some rocks, they would go down and turn you over. So you're laying there like this. And the next witness would get as big of a stone as they could pick up. And they would eyeball it and try and drop it on your chest from, in my case, 12 feet up. So this wasn't a little boo-boo that Paul got. They thought he was dead, and there's a good reason that they thought he was dead, which makes it more amazing what Paul does anyway. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up, and he went back into the city 
What do you do after you almost get killed by a group of people? I run the other way. He gets up and he goes back into the city and the next day he and Barnabas left for Derby. Let's take a look at Derby. Yeah, that's a good reaction. Maybe that's what they thought, right? Real people, real place, real time. So what did they do in Derby? Who are they? Who are you? What are you here? Why are you here? They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned. If you look at the map, it's easier for Paul to go back to his home just by taking like a, a right turn out of Derby and like not going back the way that he just went to all the places where people were trying to kill him. He goes back into the fire and he returns to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them, to, uh, for them in each church and uh, with prayer and fasting committed the, them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. And they continued down and they went all the way out through Atalia and they sailed back to a different Antioch. There's several Antiochs. They sailed back to Antioch where they had been committed to the grace of God for they, the work they had done was now completed. Who are you? What are you doing? Do you really, like we're talking about mission trip number one. I don't know that I would go back for seconds. He must have known whose he was and what his purpose was. So what did they do back? On arriving uh, they, uh, there, they gathered with the church and they reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles and they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So as I'm closing today, I hope this question is just like going around in your head. And you ask yourself, I don't know that I got my full answer as I was uh, in Israel for those 12 days, but I was seeking that answer. And I will seek that answer and continue to seek that answer and ask that question. And wouldn't it be great to have somebody that just, as you exit the door, they're like, hey, Josh, who are you? And what are you doing today, man? What's your purpose in the kingdom of God today? And when you came home, they said, hey, who are you? Are you still who you're supposed to be? And what are you, how, what are you doing? How was your day? See, your story matters. This is not an easy question to answer. There are many distractions in our culture that are going to tell you who you are. Anybody, anybody been told who you are? Do you realize how many thousands of times a day you're told who you are or what you need or you should have this or you should not do this or you shouldn't be like this? There is a battle for your identity. This is where the battle should be fought and won in God's word, but there's a battle. And we control what we let in to tell us who we are. See, Satan tried to kick my butt and take all the wind out of my sails when I got back from Israel and got sick and all those things, but he just stoked a fire. 
He stoked a fire of giving me time to, to, to sit in my mind and ask these questions and just to look at him. And he just, he kicked a hornet's nest. And now it's going all over the place. I'm stinging you all with it. Your story matters. What God has done in your life is a gift for all humankind. Some of us, it's an unopened gift that we don't share or we don't know how to share yet. But you see, Paul no doubt shared his story. Do you think Paul, on his little trip here, they'd be like, Paul, wait a minute. Aren't you the guy that was the Christian killer? What happened? not going to believe this. I was going to Damascus to do some work there. And God stopped me. And he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I couldn't see. And there were scales in my eyes and I couldn't see. And, I, I, and he would just be telling his story. And people were like, wow. They probably wouldn't have to Paul, ask Paul that question after they see him act. Who are you and what are you doing here? Because they were enveloped by the fire that God had put upon Paul. So sharing your story is important. But you're like, well, I don't have a really cool like Paul story. You know what story I'd like my kids to have? This is a story I wish that my kids would have. I was raised in an awesome Christian home. I like this story so far. My mom and dad studied the Bible. They prayed. They served their coworkers. They served us kids. They served each other. They shared the good news of Jesus with others. They were generous. They loved on their grandkids, and God's community was a priority to them. I want to be like them and follow in their, their example. How many people like, would love that testimony? How many people would love that testimony for their kids? Good news. Who are you? What are you doing here? And if that time has passed you by, you can be a different type of person as a grandparent. You have, you have such influence. You have such influence with your kids and grandkids. There is nothing that you're going to hand over in your life better than your influence to your kids and grandkids. There's this idea about this inheritance that, you know, like, you know, uh, a godly man is going to hand over this inheritance. And like, where does the American mind go to? Oh, yeah, I'm handing over. Because, you know, like if you gave your kids a million dollars right now, it would do them great, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it just be great for them? They would just be super responsible and could handle it perfectly. There's some proverbs about ill-gotten gain and what it does to people. What inheritance do you think God is calling people to give to their family? They don't need your money. They need to know what worshiping God looks like. What if you have this testimony that you were some famous rock musician and God changed your life and he came into that awesome, great testimony. I don't have that. I don't even play an instrument. What if you have a testimony, that, uh, a story that you were at the end of, your, end of yourself? You were contemplating like not being here anymore. You couldn't answer the question and it was eating you alive of who am I and what am I doing here? And then God met you at your darkest moment. 
And he said, let me tell you who you are. And let me tell you what, what some of your purpose can be here. And he gave you a hope. See, Paul's story and your stories matter as much today as they did 2,000 years ago. Partner with God. He doesn't need any fans. He doesn't need bumper stickers. He doesn't need to, he doesn't need just the, the, hey brother, he is looking for workers. And we have a harvest available that is unbelievable right where we live. And it's you being bold enough to share your story, to share the story of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done in your life and introducing people to community that they desperately need and they don't even know it. Today we're going to take this time as a, as a community and we're going to go to communion and we're going to remember who Jesus is and what he did and what his purpose was and we're going to apply that to our life. So I just want us to pass these out. We have Ron Forrest over here. If you didn't get communion, uh, go ahead and grab one. If you're not a believer, this isn't going to mean a lot to you and I want to talk to you after the service. Or any of our guys, we want to talk to you. Guys or gals. Anybody with a lanyard on? We want to talk to you about this, but this won't mean a lot. But for those of us that are believers, this means a ton. So I want to take a time for us to just go in directed prayer first. So Father God, we come to you. We thank you for your precious word, your amazing uh, worship that we got to worship you this morning together. We understand that we gather here to be encouraged, to be challenged, to scatter out into the world, to be better models of who you are. Lord, help us to do that well. So Lord, I just ask that you would just put right now on our mind, who is it that is in our circle that is far from you? People that don't know you or used to know you or are walking away, Bring those opportunities to us, Lord, this week. Let us have our heads up to see those things. And let us not overcomplicate everything. And let us just talk about what you've meant in our lives. And be able to praise, praise you, to say hallelujah. Lord, let's pray. We just ask that you would have this time, you would, the sick in our community, people that are ill, people that have disease, cancer, whatever, all those things, Lord, that your hand would just come upon them this week. Lord, I ask that your hand would just uh, comfort the sailor and Rutherford families of my friends who just lost their, their mom this morning. Father, we don't come to the table lightly. We come to the table proudly. Proud of what you have done on the cross. Proud that your message continues on long after buildings come up and fall down and men rise up and fall down. That your word is constant and it is consistent and it continues to be poured out upon us. Let us receive it like we receive you right now. Lord Jesus, on that night, he was betrayed. He took the bread and when he had given thanks and he said, this is my body. This is for you. 
do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember him. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. Let's remember him. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the folks that came here today, Lord. I know that you met them in worship, Father God. I ask you would continue to meet them in worship. I ask you would continue to meet them in your word and in prayer and that you would speak loudly and boldly into their hearts here, Lord, and into my heart. That we would feel and know the kind of God that you are. That there's no other God or gods that are even remotely like you. That have your love and your compassion. Lord, open our hearts to your way, your will, and your purpose. Help us discover who we are and what we're doing here. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.